Hey, Lou. So tonight I have my fantasy draft, my one league that I play in. One? Yeah, I only play in one league. And you know what? It's a PPR league, and I have my eye on two guys that dominate PPR leagues. Who's that? Ray Rice and Wes Welker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left is the not-as-unfootball-savvy as the intro will have you believe, Doug Williams, my co-host extraordinaire. Well, yeah, I mean, if you don't understand the joke of the intro, then <clears throat> joke's on you, seriously. Yeah, if you don't understand the joke of the intro, we're not going to explain it because then it stops being funny. Right. Yeah, that's how things work. Uh, the NFL season is upon us, almost. Starts tomorrow. Starts tomorrow, yes. Uh, Seahawks-Packers, the Fail Mary rematch, part two. This time with real refs. Kicks off the uh, the NFL slate. Little spoiler alert for those uh, who listen to us on YesNetwork.com. The Niner this week will cover some matchups we're looking forward to seeing this year based mostly on individual rivalries as opposed to, oh, Giants-Cowboys is going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, and that's one of them. The, the it's it's cool that this is the first game of the season because there's no substitute for watching games played in Seattle. The crowd is just such a big part of that team. And oh yeah, obviously they won the Super Bowl last year. Everyone's psyched to uh, to see them. And um, it's good to have the NFL back. I am not the biggest NFL guy. We have a lot of people in our office and a lot of people in this country. You know, in the first place, are just huge into the NFL. It's all they talk about. Um, it's, it's, it's their everyday lives, fantasy football. People are on seven or eight teams. And to me, a sport like baseball, and I'm not, you know, I I will say it. I'm more of a baseball guy than I am a football guy, but I think baseball deserves more discussion. It's a smarter sport. It's got more ins and outs. It's, you can go way more in depth about baseball than you can football. And it bothers me sometimes that, that football is what is talked about by the water cooler when, at the roots of it, it's such a simple and barbaric sport. Now, I understand. I love football, and and that a lot of people are really into it, and their coaches hired to look look at the X's and O's and watch film. But fans aren't those people. No, no. I, I think that the allure of the NFL has to do with three things. Number one, the 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 pessimists of the world will say that it's barbarianism uh, caters to the lowest common denominator of society, <laughs> uh, but. It's a once a week, twice a week, now three times a week with Thursday Night Football thing. You know, baseball plays every day. So if you miss a few games like I did while I was away or those who may have tuned out over Labor Day weekend, within a couple of minutes you get the gist of the storyline. Those games sort of end up meaning little in the long run because it's three or four games out of 162. The same as even in basketball, you know, two or three games is – two or three out of 81, 82 games. Hockey, the same way. Football is 16 games. It's once a week. Your team plays once a week. You only have to devote four hours a week to watching it. Uh, fantasy is nuts because everybody's you know going at the same time, and it, it, it's kind of a big thing. It's a social atmosphere because of the once a week, especially being on Sunday. Walk past any bar in any town in America, and that'll, that'll tell you that. And every game, every game means something. 
you know, a, a four-game losing streak in football based on percentage is akin to a team losing 40 in a row in baseball. That would be unprecedented. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that, that would be ridiculous. But a four-game losing streak in football, that, that's what you're looking at is a 40-game losing streak or, you know, 20 in hockey or basketball. Yeah, and again, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what about it bothers me um, because I love football. I love the Giants. I, I watch every Sunday, and and I, I'll happily go to a bar to watch a, a full slate of Sunday games on any given Sunday in, in the fall. But there's just something about the constant talk. And, and every year, really what does it for me, Lou, and I'll be honest, it, this is what sets me off every year, is the New York Jets. Um, because I am a listener of talk radio in New York, the Jets are like, are they real? Are they an actual football team or are they just a ploy by the NFL and by sports media so that everybody has something to talk about? Rex Ryan will not name starting quarterbacks. Rex Ryan will somehow not allow his GM or it may be the other way around. The GM with cap room won't go get a cornerback so that we don't have to talk about their cornerback or their, you know, defensive backfield. It is kind of ridiculous how little they show up every year for the amount that we have to talk about them. Well, you know what? That the talk portion of it doesn't really necessarily equate but in New York, there's a lot of fans that fall along two lines. Yankees fans are usually also Giants, Rangers, kind of Knicks fans. Mets fans are more like the Mets, Jets, Islanders, kind of Long Island thing going on. And that entire side of the equation has a little brother complex when it comes to the media and fan and general populist perspective. The Yankees, you don't ever hear Yankees fans sniping about the Mets doing anything. But all you hear is Mets fans sniping at the Yankees and, and laughing at their misdeeds. Why? Because the Mets desperately want to be the Yankees in terms of success, at least via the fan base. Same with the Jets and the Giants. The Giants have won, what, three Super Bowls in, the, in my lifetime? Four Super Bowls in my lifetime? How many of the Jets won? One, period. Let alone in my lifetime, period. And not in 45 years. Islanders the same way. The Rangers have won a Stanley Cup in 94. They've been to the finals again. The Islanders haven't been relevant since they won the Stanley Cup in 1980, the early 1980s. It's that little brother complex. So how much of it is a media circus caused by their own personnel? And how much of it is just we talk about the Jets because the Jets are that little brother fighting for attention as opposed to the Giants who are slow and steady even – if they're not spectacular. I guess this is kind of how I would put it. I would say that as soon as the games start on the field, I am thrilled to have football back. Oh, yeah. Always. Absolutely. Because I like watching the game, and, and I am totally into it. I love the sport. Um, what I really don't find interesting at all is anything off the field in the NFL. What good happens off the field in the NFL? There are so many people doing bad things, so many athletes getting suspended, general managers, owners getting suspended. Everybody seems to be cheating in some way. And then you have this pointless discussion of who's going to win the starting quarterback job when it, we might as well just wait. Brian Hoyer got the big start. Everyone's talking about how he won the job over Johnny Football. Well, Johnny Football will be the starter in week six. It's just these conversations. It's like we're just going through the process, just to go through it. Michael Vick, he's not going to start. We've known it all along, but we still talk about it. It's like yep. 
it's the one sport I would say just needs to be talked about on the field. That's it. I don't. There, nothing good happens off of it. Well, it's because again, unlike any other sport, there's no. You know, you don't talk about well, spring training. You talk about who's going to be the fifth starter for the Yankees. You know, is Pineda going to win the job? This, that, the other thing. You don't talk about that every day. Right. Even though, the, you know, the starting pitcher changes every day in baseball. You don't talk about that every day. You don't talk about, you know, who's going to be the goalie tonight for insert mediocre NHL team here every every day. You don't talk about, you know, is somebody going to be taken out of the starting lineup uh, in basketball every single day. It's dynamic in that regard that because it plays once a week, it lends itself to making quicker, rasher decisions like that. Like, okay, yeah, Brian Hoyer's going to start week one, but will Johnny Manziel be the starter in week six? Probably. If he's not, we're going to keep hearing about it until he is. That's just the nature of the game. It's a team game that's built on individual personalities. Every sport has individual personalities. I'm not saying they don't. Derek Jeter, first and foremost. I mean, he's been an icon in baseball for 20 years. There's players in the LeBron. You know, the NBA is as individual a team game as it gets, but the NFL is built on these individual things. Nobody cares about the Giants wide receiving core because you know who the three guys are going to be. It's that's who it is. But everyone cares about the Browns QB job because Johnny Manziel is a hot name. They care about, you know, what's going on in the Jets because it's Geno Smith and Rex Ryan and Michael Vick who has his checkered past as, as far from it as he's gotten. That's the way it is. That's what sells the NFL the six days a week it's not playing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of go through um, what bothers me about it. And as we've been taping this podcast, I've just kind of been figuring it out as if I'm in the uh, – Sort of formulating your argument as you go. Yeah, and, and kind of like I'm in the couch at the at the shrinks, you know, just yeah. talking it out. And, and Tell you me guys just get to hear – what goes through my head? Tell me what you're feeling, Douglas. Uh, that got weird. That really did get weird. weird. Yeah, it did. Sorry. Um, should we move on to uh, <laughs> the struggling Bronx Bombers? Before we do that, let's let's do one thing, which you know people are going to ask us. Oh, boy. You're a Giants fan. The season begins on Sunday. What are you, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm so glad you didn't ask me a Super Bowl prediction because I just am not sure I have that ready yet. Yeah, no, I, um, I don't know. I am not confident in my Giants, Lou. I have no reason to be confident in my Giants. I know that their secondary is stronger than it has been. That's not saying much. We we had, like, Corey Webster and me back there last year, um, and it showed. Um, this year, we you know, we picked up a few pieces. Uh, we got Stevie Brown back. So, in a few ways, it's going to be a little bit better on defense. Now, their pass rush is pretty much gone. Jason Pierre-Paul is the only one left. He looks like a shell of himself. And on offense, they're a disaster. Uh, it's Eli Manning trying to man a new offense that he has no grip of, at least he hasn't shown us yet. Um, and Odell Beckham will start the season on the sidelines with an injury, leaving just Victor Cruz and Ruben Randall. That's not enough weapons. We don't have a tight end to speak of, and our offensive line is a disaster. So, um, I think it's going to be a seven and nine year for the Giants. I hope that I'm I'm wrong somehow. I was much more confident at at the beginning of the off season, if that makes any sense. I thought we'd regroup and come back, but uh, our offensive line looks to be a disaster. And at the end of the day, the most important parts of these teams are the big guys. 
you know, the the offensive line and the defensive line. And right now the Giants are weak at both, and I so I think it's going to be another tough year. Lou, you and your Eagles. Let's hear it. Uh, first of all, let me just say that I agree with you. I think the Giants are a seven and nine team, plus or minus two. Uh, <laughs> could go all the way to nine and seven. Wouldn't be surprised if they're five and eleven. And I said during our Twitter chat last week that um, I think they're going to be slightly better than the Jets, if only because their biggest weakness, the offensive line, will cost them less games than the Jets' biggest weakness, the defensive secondary will. On to my Eagles. Last year I went in having no expectations whatsoever. It was a new offense, you know, new head coach, new situation everywhere, revamped the defense, this, that, the other thing. And they surprised me by going to the playoffs and winning the division. You have to expect a repeat of that. They've lost to Sean Jackson, but regained Jeremy Macklin. You know, they've they've retooled their defense even more. So Pat Chung is not a safety getting burned like uh, three, four times a game. I'm going to be optimistic and say they'll go 11-5 and five and win the NFC East again, especially with the Cowboys being a mess, the Giants being a mess, and the Redskins – you know what? Is 2012 RG3 the one we're going to see, or is 2013 RG3 the one we're going to see? Because if it's closer to the latter than the former, they're going to be a mess too. Or if they trade RG3 and start the real quarterback on their Kirk team, Cousins. Kirk Cousins, then maybe they'll be a better team. Yep. Yeah, you know what? I think 11-5 and five is aggressive. I would go more on the 10-6 and six route, even though it's, it's one game. It is different. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Another thing about football, same thing. One win right. makes a huge difference yeah. as opposed to five. It sounds like I'm nitpicking, but I'm really not. <laughs> yeah. um, just because, you know, just like RG3, 2012 RG3, are we going to get 2013 Nick Foles? You know? Right. We, we don't know enough about him to know whether he'll be consistently as good as he has been or was last year. Um, and the Eagles' defense, what what can you expect out of them? Do you do you expect big things out of their defense this year? Much improved? I or? don't expect big things out of them or, or much improved or whatever you want to call it. I expect that they'll be no worse, if that makes sense. They're not going to they're not going to regress. They did okay. They did well enough last year. So I think they'll be they'll be fine. Um, you know, again with the six games against the Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins, you know that's six less chances where a bad defense you think can hurt them. So we'll see what happens. I, I'm like I said, I'm optimistic. I'll be in Philly Columbus Day weekend for the Eagles Giants Sunday Night Football matchup, uh, which ought to be a blast. Hopefully, it won't be too cold by then. <laughs> um. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Nick Foles, the word system quarterback is kind of a pejorative these days. But if he's the perfect quarterback to run Chip Kelly's system, who cares if he's Nick Foles and not Peyton Manning? You know, he's if he's the guy, he's the guy. He's not going to throw 25, 30 touchdowns and, and three or four interceptions. He's not going to come close to that regard last year. Like, yeah, I should say like he did last year. But, you know, what? if he can throw 30 touchdowns and – 12 picks well i'll take it that would be anybody great. would take it yeah so um, you know we'll see and now have two florida gators on the roster trey burton made the team so uh, i'm very happy about that might have to go get myself a trey burton jersey you know my riley cooper jersey but your riley uh, cooper jersey not something that you want to wear in public i would say uh not in some neighborhoods no um well generally 
no matter who I know, I know you're a Riley Cooper fan. You're a Florida guy, but if you do wear that jersey, people yeah. are going to assume things about you that you got it. People would assume that you got it after the remarks. Yeah, there's there's one neighborhood you want to wear that in, and that's uh, South Philly, uh, somewhere around the corner of Eleventh and Patterson, mostly in the parking lot or in the stadium per se. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have one just because I'm a Florida fan and I'm an Eagles fan, and Coop's a Florida Gator turned Eagle. So, right. you know, it's it's a natural for you. It makes sense. a natural purchase. The same way, you know, anyone who went to uh, South Carolina who happens to be a Texans fan is obviously going to buy a Jadavian Clowney jersey. You know, that's sort of how I roll. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens in the NFL season. I, I'm looking forward to it more specifically because as we segue into the Bronx Bombers. I will continue to do so in my professional life. The fan part of me has checked out of the rah-rah Yankees train after last night. I have officially, mentally, as a fan, checked out of any expectations for this team in September. Because, quite frankly, and I know Michael Kay said a similar thing today on his radio show, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt anymore. They're a team that's four games over 500, 136 games into the year. And are probably going to need to go anywhere between 17 and 9 and higher to make the playoffs. What have they shown you for being a basically 500 team for the first seven-eighths of the season that makes you believe they're going to be an 800 team for that final eighth? Oh, nothing. I mean, they, they haven't shown you anything. And it's always been uh, probably the right call to say they wouldn't make the playoffs because they've been kind of in the race but mm-hmm. needing to play catch-up. And the teams around them. When you watch those teams, you realize how different than they are they are than the Yankees. You watch J.D. Martinez at that huge home run last night. The Yankees don't get those hits. Um, you watch the Royals lineup one through nine. They're all so athletic with the exception of Billy Butler who can drive in runs. You know, that's the thing. I was watching the highlight of Derek Jeter uh, in the first pitch of the, uh, the Subway Series, uh, that home run that he hit at, at Shea Stadium. And... You know, I love the captain. I think he deserves all the praise he's getting this year. But there's something to be said about youth in your lineup and, and, and being athletic and being able to hit the inside pitch out because you can get to it and having those quick reflexes. The Yankees look old. They look decrepit. They look like they if, – if they guess fastball and you happen to throw it right down the pipe, they'll hit it, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said about the fact that a lot of these guys are banged up and they're old. And when you get to the end of the year, that's really just not going to cut it. And now Martin Prado with a slight, slight strain of his hamstring, he's going to miss the remainder of the week. There's no two ways about it. Joe right. Girardi can say we hope he has him tomorrow. or the, He's going to be out for three, four days. And that's a killer blow given that, A, he's a guy that's been pretty good since they acquired him. B, he kills lefties. So any lefties they face in this next however long he's out – Missed opportunity there. And see, he can play five positions. So even last night when he moved from second base to left field because Brett Gardner got ejected, you had to figure that if something crazy happened, he might eventually move back into the infield if Ichiro somehow got into the outfield. He's a guy that can play pretty much everywhere. And his flexibility gives you the flexibility to give Mark Teixeira a day off or a DH day if he needs it because you can move Chase Headley to first because Prado can adequately handle third. Or give Gardner or Ellsbury a day off because he can adequately handle left or right field. It's a huge blow. If there is one player the Yankees couldn't afford to lose outside of Ellsbury and Gardner, it's him, and they did. Yeah, 
terrible loss for the Yankees, both on the field and off. Uh, in Martin Prado and losing to the Red Sox last night. The funny thing is you go into the series like that and you look on paper and you say, all right, Yankees need a sweep here and they can do it. The Red Sox aren't even close to the team they are, and that's saying something. Uh, the Yankees need a sweep here. And you look at the Red Sox lineup, one through nine, that doesn't score any runs and you still would outweigh the Yankees to them. Yep. And um, one thing I want to say, Lou, last night you and I both at the stadium, uh, Brett Gardner gets ejected. And a lot of people on Twitter talking about how he acted like a baby and about how, you know, he really needs to – he's such an important part of their lineup. He needed to stay in the game. Yeah, I understand that. He probably had maybe, maybe two at-bats left in the game, probably two, uh, maybe one. What I don't get is everyone talks about you want to see fire. You want to see passion. You want to see how much these guys care. Their season is on the line. It's September. They need to win these games. Brett Garner has the bat taken away from him by a bad call by the umpire, and he reacts. All he does is throw down his helmet. Wouldn't have said a word if he wasn't thrown out. It was him being thrown out that opened his mouth. He slammed down his helmet, showed up the umpire, and got kicked out. I liked that as a fan. I like seeing the fact that this guy is mad. He struck out three times in a row. He would rather have hit a grand slam in that opportunity, but the umpire took it away from him. I like seeing that because fans are angry. They want to see that same feeling reciprocated by the players themselves. Yeah, and that's what Yankees fans have been feeling for the last five months is blank and blankety blank, blank, blank about whatever it is. And you know what? Joe Girardi obviously had to be diplomatic because otherwise he's gonna you know, his wallet will be a little lighter tomorrow. It was a bad call. It was ball four. Every replay you looked at, it was ball four. And, and it's one of the things that that peeves me about baseball is that umpires never seem to get at least publicly any backlash for failing to do their job. We talk about fire Joe Girardi, fire Brian Cashman, fire Kevin Long, fire everybody, trade this guy, blah, 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 when it comes to the players and the coaches. You never hear any public backlash about the umpires. And I find it hard to believe that in a world where we can, like, scan tennis shots on a grass court, that there's there's no technology or no need for a little bit of help for these guys, especially when you see a call like that. It was a big moment in the game. It was 7-3. to three. The Yankees were mounting a rally. They finally looked like they'd gotten to Joe Kelly, who was pretty much Sandy Koufax for the first four innings outside of solo home run by Prado. Um, and it's 3-2. The bases are loaded. It's a 7-3 game. If Gardner walks, you know, that brings up the middle of the order, as maligned as they've been and as not hitting as they are. Brings up the middle of the order, which theoretically should be your mashers. It brings up the guy who leads the team in home runs, hitting cleanup, in a 7-4 game with the bases loaded. One swing puts them ahead. Instead, one bad call ends the inning. They lose their left fielder, and that's pretty much it. It's a hole they can't recover from. Yep. And, and again, you never know what's going to happen. Mark Teixeira comes up with the bases loaded. Yeah. You know, he might get a fastball. He, was, he guessed right. And suddenly you're in the lead. And I think last night... At least I saw on Twitter last night, a lot of people called the season. A lot of people said, that was it. We needed to sweep the Red Sox. We have a big homestand. We needed to win whatever. And every team in the wild card race except for the Yankees won last night. Right. Which made it even worse. You just can't have that. And especially because it is September now. We've been Mm -hmm. talking about when the Yankees get to September. Well, it is September. And I think a lot of people called the season. 
And when you have an at-bat as important as Brett Gardner's taken away by the umpire, and I totally agree with you, let's have some backlash. Let's have him fined let's, or let's have him you know, skipped in a series. That's probably uh, more realistic. I'm not trying to get the guy not paid, but I'm just yeah. saying at least have this guy not be able to ump a series because you really messed up this call. And, again, the replay bails them out now. So that helps. That helps them. They, they don't want to make bad calls, Lou. But behind the plate, there's still no fix for it. And there's, and there's a human element to it, just like there is in any sport, just like the fail Mary we talked about at the beginning with the, the whole that controversy and the replacement refs in the NFL a couple years ago. There's a human element to it. I have no grudge against Tim Timmons. I don't want to take food off his family's table. But again, in a world where we have all this technology, there, there needs to be some kind of – otherwise it doesn't – there needs to be some kind of change or – retribution or whatever otherwise it doesn't get better i mean if you look look at you and i if i mess up you know so many articles or you mess up so many videos or we tweet stupid things too many times eventually we're going to get fired that's the way the world works yeah so how is it not the same for you know these guys, when I forget what the stat was, like something like fifty-seven percent of, of replay challenges as of the All-Star break were overturned. That means they're doing their job wrong half the time. They're called the task on it. Nothing. Yeah, and you see the same names kind of pop up. I know that guys like CB Buckner. Everyone seems to yeah. Laz talk Diaz, about Angel Laz Hernandez. Diaz, Angel Hernandez. Every time these series come up. People say, he's on third tonight. Let's keep an eye out for it. You shouldn't have those guys. If they're really making bad calls and, and really inflaming the, the coaches and the players on both teams, then get rid of them. I mean, it's not unspeakable to say this guy really annoys both teams. Teams hate playing on the field when he's at a base or behind home plate. Then get rid of him. I totally agree. Sorry, I know we're off on a tangent. I know no, you got a few other things you, you want know, to talk I'm, about. I'm going to bring it to – I know you're going to hate this, but I'm going to bring it to a wrestling analogy. When I worked for WWE, there was an edict at one point where the referees had always been sort of semi-nameless kind of additions to the scenery. And there was an edict at one point where it was like we need our fans to get to know the referees and we had to build bios and do all this stuff. And now we're back to who is that guy again because in reality, no matter what sport it is, whether it's something – Scripted like professional wrestling, something as heated as baseball, or you know the quarterfinals of the Fairfield County sixteen and under girls three-handed badminton championships. The umpire, official, referee's name you don't know is probably the best one because he's doing nothing to make you know who he is. Plain and simple. Yep, they're, they're not taking this job to get famous. No. And, and, and nor that, should they. It comes with a reasonable set of expectations. They shouldn't. Right. Uh, yeah, there are other things I want to talk about. Um, when it comes to the fire everybody train, last night, 90% of Joe Girardi's pregame press conference was a why is Derek Jeter still hitting second witch hunt? At which point, Girardi finally looked exasperated to the point where he said, if I drop him in the lineup, who do you want me to put there? And it's a, it, it's a bad... You know, it's a bad reflector of the Yankees lineup because, quite frankly, there's nobody that deserves to be there. But on the other hand, I think the onus now needs to be on the manager, whether it's going to hurt people's egos, whether it's, you know, Derek Jeter's hit second. More than half of his career plate appearances are out of the number two hole in the lineup. And he's hitting 260. And he's still the third best hitter on the team. 
But everybody else below him needs to, you know, drop Carlos Beltran to eighth. Drop Brian McCann to eighth. I know there's probably still a bad taste in everybody's mouth from when Jorge Posada was dropped to ninth and then decided to take himself out of the game, allegedly. And there's still kind of bad thoughts about dropping Alex Rodriguez down and then out of the lineup eventually at the end of last year or two years ago. If you're not here to put on a farewell tour, then you sure as hell shouldn't be here to placate a bunch of overpaid players' egos at this point. Because it is he's not going to say it, and he said he wouldn't say it. It's do or die. If the Yankees continue this lose-a-couple-win-a-couple mentality, come Derek Jeter's last homestand, they're going to be playing for absolutely nothing but Derek Jeter's last homestand. Yeah, and This is the diarity of the situation. This is where the manager needs to step in and manage the team and do something in an attempt. Whatever it is that needs to be done to shake this team up, do it. Yeah, and the problem with what I think the problem is is that it's not like Joe Girardi's been managing a lot of these guys for a long time. He doesn't know how big their egos are, really. Yeah. You know, do, has Carlos Beltran hit ninth in his career? Probably not. Yeah. Maybe not since his rookie year. But you haven't done it this year. You don't know how he'll react. You don't know how Derek Jeter would react to, to batting seventh. A lot of people are calling for Jeter to come out and say, look, I haven't been performing. Drop me down in the lineup. But that, to me, is an argument by media members who are trying to shake things up. Guys in the media who say, bring Jeter down in the lineup – want to come off as the guys who want this kind of radical change, when in reality, the truth is, like you said, like Joe Girardi said, who's going to do a better job? You know, Martin Prado has been hitting third of late. That is justified. That's something he's worked for. That's something he's earned. But I agree with you. See what it does to these guys. Don't worry about their egos. Use their egos. Use their egos to make them angry. Use their egos to improve their play. Maybe if Carlos Beltran sits three straight games because... You're going to sit the bench. Right. Like, that's it. So maybe that maybe that will send a message. I think it comes off as spineless for Joe Girardi to keep the status quo when it's clearly not working. That's the, that's the real issue. I agree. And, and you know... Girardi said last night there's a lot of guys that haven't lived up to the back of their baseball card, but then maybe that's an issue for why Kevin Long still has a job. We've gone through this before where it's everybody has great moments on their resume and everybody has this albatross on their resume this year about why they should should or shouldn't keep their job. The problem is hey, nobody's performing, nobody's hitting, and Girardi even said as much. We, collectively, we haven't hit as a team. You can't blame Derek Jeter for the fact that the Yankees are now, I believe, three or four runs ahead of the Red Sox. The Red Sox are dead last in the American League in run scored, and the Yankees are right ahead of them, only a couple ahead based off last night's score. That's not his fault. But you know what? Again, if these guys are, are hitting 220 and whatever, do something. What's the alternative? They lose? We, not like we haven't seen that 66 times this year. I mean, last night, you know, as Mark Teixeira said, no amount of effort is going to make it, you know, make you win a game on some nights. And last night, Shane Green got bombed, and you know, no amount of effort seemingly was going to win that game. If you want to look at it that way, but in a game, you know, if you get into a game like Sundays where it's one nothing, two nothing, well, if maybe you shake up the lineup and they score, scratch out a couple runs, maybe you win that game three two. That could be a huge game in in September. It's pretty simple, Lou. It, it, picture yourself, put yourself in Carlos Beltran's shoes. You look at the lineup card, you're batting ninth. Wow, I'm a borderline Hall of Fame guy and I'm batting ninth. I really must be stinking up the club. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come out the next day and make sure that never happens again. It's simple. It's the way human beings work. It's the way our brains work. It's, it's not necessarily just a ploy to change the lineup or 
to do this strategically. I don't want to have back-to-back lefties. I don't want to have so-and-so hitting third. He's not a three-hitter. Don't worry about that. Just do what's right for, for the way our, us human beings work. I think it could do a world of help for the Yankees at least – couldn't hurt, like you yeah. said. What, what's the worst-case scenario? Pretty sure Joe Girardi didn't want David Adams hitting fifth most of the time last year, but that happened. And Ben Francisco hit cleanup on opening day, and nobody wants that, but it happened. Right. So, again, yeah, Joe Torre said the day his number was retired that he was glad that he had a group of 25 guys that left the decisions to him and didn't, you know, didn't question his decisions if he did something and just let him do his job and trusted that everything was going to be okay. And if Joe Girardi wants to learn as much from Joe Torre as he says he does, maybe it's time to learn that. Maybe it's like, you know what? I'm the manager. Trust me. I'm going to do something. We need to shake something up. Now, on the other hand, when everybody looks at that train, something happened to me as a fan this past weekend that made me kind of question my own fandom. And it's specifically related to Brian Cashman. Has Joe Girardi, you know, lost the team or this or that or whatever kind of thing? Is he managing doing that? Is whatever. I've seen a lot of people in writing in the last few weeks even kind of come out and basically in more creative or less bitter ways say that maybe it's just time to make a change at the top because you've reached critical mass in what Brian Cashman is going to bring to the table. I think I've floated over to that side of the equation when Adam Dunn got traded to Oakland. For this reason, I'm now looking as a fan, as a journalist, I look at it as, you know, okay, it's a missed opportunity. I'm now looking at things like that as a fan as like, wow, the Yankees didn't have some mid-level prospect they could have given up for a guy who, if the DH position is theoretically open because Carlos Beltran can play the outfield, would play 17 of his final 27 games in Yankee Stadium and three of those other 10 in Boston where I can hit the ball over the left field fence or the right field fence, I should say, excuse me. And they maybe were they in on it? Maybe were they were they out of it? Maybe who knows what the situation was? But when you look at something like that and say, "Damn, I wish the Yankees could have done that," that's that's kind of a crushing blow to your fandom. And with Adam Dunn specifically, it's funny because in 106 games with the White Sox, he hit 220 with 20 home runs, 54 RBIs, and a 773 OPS. Mark Teixeira played his 103rd game of the season last night. You know what his line is? 223, 20 homers, 55 RBIs, 737 OPS. Adam Dunn in Chicago was numerically a better player than the Yankees' best hitter. And Oakland gave up a guy they drafted two years ago who was a reliever in high A ball to get him. Now, when you look at things like that, again, maybe the Yankees didn't want him. Maybe they weren't. But... It seems like that would be a perfect fit. A left-handed hitter playing 20 games out of 27 in Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. And you look you have to look at that as a missed opportunity. Yeah, and I agree with you. I two things I will say about that. One, I can picture Brian Cashman not really knowing what to do right now. Do you go out and make a deal? Do you is it worth it? Do you really think that there's a way that you can make it in the playoffs? Maybe he knows or thinks he knows that it's just not worth paying anything right now for a rental guy. The second thing I would say, Lou, is that, hmm, well, Adam Dunn, he's a tough example. Yeah, he strikes out once every half yeah. and at bat. I, I get it. And I get that. But I will say, this is kind of exactly what it feels like to be the fan of any other franchise. We are so used to, as Yankee fans and mm-hmm. for the team we work for, when they need a piece, they go out and get it. 
Uh, when they needed a third baseman, they got Chase Headley. When they needed a starter, they got Brandon McCarthy. The Baltimore Orioles have needed an ace for 10 years, and they've never made it happen. So many guys have gone off the market. I understand that Adam Dunn wouldn't have cost the Yankees much, but let's remember that how many moves have they made this year? A lot of them have worked out, which would, to me, yep. encourage him to make the move. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this is a very common feeling for for a lot of other teams other than the athletics who got Adam Dunn. It's like, hmm, would have been nice for him to go get him. Yeah. So I think maybe it's just kind of, well, we, we, we weren't in on, in on this one. And it's bizarre how Oakland's kind of gone into the tank ever since they started making all these moves, which is yeah, they, they they've, stopped. they've done the opposite of what Billy Bean has done forever, and they've had the opposite as the intended result. But it's just moments like that where you wonder that this is the Yankees, the team that's always you know had the money to go out and do what they need to do and had the pride to go out and do what they need to do, and now you know they need to ask to add Martin Prado's money to the payroll and this. It's you don't want to feel like this is the beginning of the end of the dynasty. But last year it was the offense because everybody was hurt. This year everybody, you know, the pitching staff is hurt and the offense isn't carrying. Maybe maybe this is the end. Maybe it's going to be a tough few years in New York, and people, especially people of your age range who grew up watching the late 90s Yankees and know nothing but success, you know, it happened in the 60s, too, when the the Yogi Berra dynasty years kind of came to an end. (laughs) You know, the the 40s and 50s were pretty good, and then the 60s were not so good. It happens. Could happen. You know? Um, We'll see what happens over the final 26 now games as as we tape this, but... Optimism is optimism is slowly going out the window, I think, in most of Yankees' universe. All right, so I know we got to wrap up, Lou, but just to make the this last month interesting, I know you have a little contest that you want to spring out on our uh, on our listeners. I do, so, and we got this approved actually, so as, we can do it as uh, as potentially unimportant as September may be going forward. You've got something. You We're going to give you an opportunity to win free stuff because everybody loves free stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last night, Chris Young and Chaz Rowe became the 54th and 55th players to make an appearance for the Yankees this season. The franchise record of 56 was set last year. There is a player on the Yankees roster right now who has not appeared in a game for the Yankees, that being Antoine Richardson, who theoretically should become number 56 some point soon. So we're going to have a Twitter contest. And you're going to have to win something. Okay, it's a, it's a T-shirt. Here's what I want you to do. Tweet at me, at Lou DiPietro, yes. Tweet at Doug, at Doug Williams, yes. Using the hashtag Yankees57. All that needs to be in front of that hashtag is a name or the words nobody. No one. Some kind of indication. What we're looking for is we want to know who you think is going to be number 57. Who's going to break the record? for the Yankees' franchise record of players used in a season. Will someone else make their debut before Antoine Richardson and he becomes number 57? Will Rob Refsnyder or Jose Perella or another pitcher earn a call-up become number 57? Or will they be stuck on either 55 or 56 and nobody becomes 57? That's what you have to think about. Tweet at us with that hashtag and a name or uh, some version of no one. Valid between the minute this goes live... And either the end of the season or the minute number 57 gets used, once either one of those happens, we'll look back at the hashtag. We'll pick somebody out at random. We'll send you something. Easy as that. Very simple. Twitter kind of contest. 
you can win a piece of Yes Network swag courtesy of the Yes Men. And hopefully we can, you know, boost some Twitter discussion and, and and discussion of the podcast in the interim. That's the benefit for us of this. But for you, it's a chance to win free stuff. So good reason to watch and pay attention in September if you've mentally checked out like a lot of people seem to after the last few days. Right. Perfect. So with that, you can go do that as soon as you're done listening to this. We're going to wrap it up. Next week we'll be back. Uh, it will be... Another week closer to the end of the year, we'll have week one of the NFL under our belt. So we'll have a lot of that to talk about as well as uh, I'm sure some other topics. We didn't even talk about our holiday weekends. Mine was rather uneventful. Nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, you'll just have to come back next week and listen to find out what we're going to talk about. Until then, he's Doug. I'm Lou. We're the Yes Men. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.